Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hi, everybody. This is Joe Moss, and welcome to this week's edition of On the Money, uh, the show that helps small business leaders run their businesses better. Uh, as you know, it's brought to you by Embassy National Bank. Embassy is an FDIC-insured financial institution uh, with our deposits insured by the FDIC. I'm the president there, and uh, our mission at Embassy is to try to help small business. And um, so the podcast is, is, if you're a new listener, what we try to do is interview professionals uh, who give advice to small business, try to give you some tips and solutions on how to run it better. Today, we're going to talk with Don Cook, who is the uh, founder and CEO of Daybreak Enterprises, LLC. Don, I'm going to let you talk about what your business does. Does Okay, great. Thank you. So Daybreak Enterprises is in the business of developing people to drive profits. And the main thing that we do is we help leaders and their teams work and play better together. And we do that through raising their emotional intelligence. The emotional intelligence, let's just, you call it an EQ. Right. That's the abbreviation. Talk about what that is. So emotional intelligence is really the art and science of being smart with your emotions. There are four pieces or four components that you can think about when you describe emotional intelligence. The first one is self-awareness. Am I aware of what I'm feeling in the moment and why I'm feeling it? Then there's self-management. Okay, so I know what I'm feeling. What am I going to do about that? There's social awareness. Am I aware of what other people are experiencing? And then the relationship management piece is the last part. And that's how do I then navigate my conversations and interactions productively? What you're suggesting then is there's this discussion out there that says, you know, you need to take emotion out of your decision making. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing you suggest is that there is emotion plays a big role in all that. A huge role. In fact, there's research that shows that all of our decisions have an emotional root. There's a story from back in the 1800s, a uh, railroad engineer who was helping build a railroad. His name's Phineas Gage. If you Google him, you'll see the fascinating story. But he and his associate were putting gunpowder into a hole and then using a tamping iron to tamp it in. But you had to put a little sand after you put the gunpowder in. Well, there was a distraction. His assistant forgot to put the sand in. And so when Phineas went to put this three-foot tamping iron and, you know, hammer it into this hole, well, guess what? There was an explosion. And the tampering iron, tamping iron went through his brain and took a big chunk of it out. And what they discovered was before the accident, he was one of the best leaders you could imagine. He was articulate. He was really good with his people. He knew the business inside and out. But after the accident, they called him no longer Gage because he was fit to have um, temper tantrums. He couldn't make a decision. He could tell you 10 different ways to make the railroad, but he couldn't tell you which one to choose. And that's when they first discovered that you have to have both the emotional brain and the logical brain working in sync to make a good decision. Is that hard? To, is that a skill that's hard to develop? <laughs> it you can either be. have it or you don't. 
kind of thing? You know, that's an interesting question. Some people are born with what I would say better emotional intelligence and less reactive amygdalas. And when I say that, I'm talking about a part of the brain that reacts when we get into that fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. And if you are able to manage through that, you have a better chance of being stronger with your emotional intelligence. Is it easy to learn? Sometimes yes, sometimes it's a little harder. It depends on what it is you're trying to manage. But if you think about just the basic self-regulation piece of it, we respond, our brains respond to fear, right? We're either direct, trying to get away from fear or, or danger, if you will, and, mm -hmm. or move towards reward or pleasure. So when we're faced with something that creates a fear or a threat for us, what happens is our brain goes into this fight or flight response and mm -hmm. really the emotional brain is taking over and it's telling the logical brain, your prefrontal cortex, hey, you go ahead and take a break right now. I don't need you. So you take all your logic, your reasoning, your ability to process complex thought, your big picture thinking, your perspective, all of that. Take it and take a hike for about 20 minutes because I have to protect us because we feel a threat. And when that happens, you can't have a cognitive discussion or make a good decision. So the idea is you need to learn how to recognize when that's happening and manage through it. So an example of that, let me just try to, so I can, I can learn something here. If you've got the, the, the brain is kind of over engaging on the emotional side. So for example, uh, you mess up a customer's order, the customer calls you up and just goes off on you. If you realize, okay, this is kind of a fear flight moment, I've got to keep my logic here, but at the same time, I also need to react to it. So if you leave your logic alone, you may say, well, I'll just give it to you for free, right? <laughs> right. Or I'll send you a new one. Right. Where... If you also have the logical component, you will then try to work out something with the customer. Exactly. Exactly. Because the fear of losing that customer might overtake you and you say, oh, I'll just give away the farm. But you don't want to give away the farm. The logic side of you says, well, if I always do that, I'll have no business. Mm -hmm. So the logic has to weigh in and say, well, we can't totally give away the farm. However, we want to maintain this relationship. That's your logic and perspective, that big picture thinking. So how can we work through this? And the next step there, if you're that business owner, is to empathize with the customer. Because empathy, I like to say empathy is the difference between compliance and commitment, right? If you really meet somebody where they are and you can let them feel like they've been heard and understood, mm -hmm. they will their amygdala or their fight or flight response will lessen and relax. So then the logical brain comes back in in gear and now they are able to actually hear you when you say let's talk about how we can work through this because you've already listened to them if you don't listen to them and you just say this is what we're going to do you don't have their access to their full brain yet so it's not going to work well so it works both in with within but also recognize it recognizing it coming at you yes that's the social awareness piece so if for example i see that the customer is really upset I need to use my social awareness skills and go, okay, they're frustrated by the fact that we didn't get this order in on time when we promised we would. So I need to then empathize with that and understand, yeah, I guess you would be pissed off about that. So let's see what we can do. And then you use relationship management skills to work through it. So they're, they may be 
over on the emotional side because they realize that maybe they they're going to miss an order on the other side of it so they're not sure mm-hmm. what they're going to do and how you're going to help me so if you just take the time to to kind of um settle down a little bit is it natural then for the brain to come back in balance it is but it usually takes about 20 minutes unless you do something to make it come back sooner and so there are different techniques that you can use to what i call manage an emotional hijack so the easiest one and these are backed by science the easiest one is to breathe deep breathing you know your parents may have told you that when you were younger if you're upset just take a deep breath what actually does rebalance your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system so that your your blood will go back to a normal rate in your body so breathing works pausing works if you can just take a few moments to just step back and pause and the reason this works is because if you can pause for seven seconds that gives your body enough time to stop emitting the chemical that goes with the emotion that you've just had or just experienced because when we have an emotion let's say we have a fear emotion or frustration the brain actually emits a chemical equated to that fear and it sends it into your body and it'll release that for six seconds and you really don't have any control over that it's going to happen but what you do have control over is in that window recognizing that it's happening and saying okay i'm feeling really angry about this right now i'm feeling really fearful or frustrated so i've got to figure out what i want to do about it and if you can just take seven seconds and be aware of that and maybe think of something that will calm you and gratitude by the way is the number one thing that's going to bring calm to your body if you can think of something you're grateful for that will give you the opportunity to kind of get a grip on those emotions that are trying to take you over and then you can respond in a more intelligent way so if gosh if you find yourself in a meeting and somebody says something and for whatever reason you get upset Mm -hmm. the best thing to do is to recognize that Mm -hmm. and just go wait a minute let me think about this for a minute yes that's hard to do it's very hard to do it's going against our natural instinct to protect ourselves you've got to have enough discipline to recognize that it's happening yes yes now i'd like to give you a tip if i could for the listeners it's it's you can manage an emotional hijack but it's much easier to avoid one so what i want to do is tell you how you can have less hijacks okay all right have you ever heard of the term mindfulness mindfulness yes i've heard the term i don't know what it means okay I'm glad. Let me share with you (laughs) what it means. So it's very similar to meditation or it's a form of meditation. When we think of meditation, you usually think of what? Settling down. Settling down, kind of clearing your brain of your thoughts and just sort of, you know, um, right? right? Well, mindfulness is, you know, you don't necessarily need to clear your brain of all your thoughts, but what you do want to do is focus your brain on single thought. So in the moment right now, Whatever you're experiencing, that's what you want to be completely focused on. If you are practicing mindfulness on a regular basis, you're staying in the moment as opposed to allowing your mind to wander. So there are different techniques for practicing this, and I'll share that in just a moment. But here's the science behind it. If you practice mindfulness as little as two to three minutes a day, in a couple of weeks, you're actually going to change the structure of your brain so that your amygdala, which is your emotional brain, simmers down it gets smaller the prefrontal cortex that has your where your compassion and your logic and reasoning all those good things that expands Mm. and increases so you become less reactive 
and more able to stay in that logical brain. Let's take a moment here. I want to talk about that, but uh, I want to remind everybody you're listening to On the Money. I'm Joe Moss and brought to you by Embassy National Bank, and we're talking to Don Cook, uh, who is the founder and chairman and CEO, I guess, of everything at Daybreak (laughs) Enterprises, LLC. And uh, we're talking about uh, a concept that she spends a lot of time on called developing a better emotional intelligence. Um, So let's go back to that concept of mindfulness where you're kind of training yourself to stay Mm -hmm. in the moment. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit more about that. How do you, what kind of things can folks do to try to just stay in the moment? Okay. So it does require practice. It's like if you go to the gym, and you worked out one time, would you think that you would be in shape? No. Right. Right. So you have to do this repetitively. Let's say, for example, you are brushing your teeth. Okay. What do you think about when you're brushing your teeth? Everything. Exactly. So your mind goes in 20 million directions. If you instead keep your mind focused just on brushing your teeth, just on brushing your teeth, and recognize, all right, so that's intense self-awareness. I'm brushing my teeth. What does it taste like? How many times am I brushing this side, this side? Am I brushing my tongue? When do I need to spit? Do I need to rinse? So just thinking about that, in that process, your brain is going to go and wander. It's natural. Mm -hmm. You recognize that and you say, oh. Pull it back. My my brain just wandered away. Let me just pull it back. No scolding, because if you scold yourself, that ruins the whole purpose. So there's no judgment in mindfulness. So it's like, oh, look where I went. All right, let me come back. I'm brushing my teeth. I'm brushing my teeth. Doing that is equivalent to a brain bicep, meaning you've just taught your mind, I want to manage you. I don't want you managing me. The more you do that, the more you're able to stay where you want your mind to stay. And as a side note, there's research around people who have their minds wander when they don't want them to wander are actually less happy than people who are able to manage their minds. Well, someone may say, but... That's when I have my best ideas when I brush my teeth. Okay, so now that's a little different thing. So if you are in create mode, right? So you're driving, you're in the shower, you're brushing your teeth, whatever. A lot of times that is when we're creative. And that's if that's what you're intending that time to be, that's different because you're intentionally allowing yourself to wander and be creative. What I'm talking about is taking the time when you want to focus on something and training your brain and your mind to mind you because then when you're in the middle of a situation with a customer and that customer's blaring at you you know you did this you did this you didn't meet this promise and so forth you aren't going to be feeling that and reacting to it so it it helps you actually manage your emotion better yes by practicing this concept called mindfulness yes wow okay why is that is that because your brain is now trained a little bit just to kind of stay and not get all freaked out it's almost like you become an objective observer okay like you're watching the scene happen I, I can tell you this is a personal example and this was not business related but with a friend several years ago we were on a trip long story short she had been complaining and complaining complaining about something that was very negative and i tend to be more a positive person and so i after five different itera- iterations of this negative comment i finally said when are you going to stop saying that So I hijacked. And of course, then she hijacked. And next thing you know, we're going at it. And I had to stop. And I 
I just became the objective observer and said, oh my gosh, I'm hijacked, she's hijacked, and I'm the only one that knows it and can do anything about it. So you had to start trying to echo back what she's telling you to try to get her back. Yes. Okay. Empathy. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, this is this is pretty interesting. Um, you know, the, the mind is an incredible thing, isn't it? Oh, I'm fascinated by the brain. Absolutely fascinated. So what you're saying is pick different times of the day to be creative. Yeah. Pick certain times of the day to practice mindfulness. mindfulness. And you can do it as, as quickly as if you're eating lunch. Sure. Eat lunch by yourself and just focus on how the food tastes, the texture, the flavor, the temperature. Just stay focused on your food while you're eating. You're practicing mindfulness. Any, this is the same kind of concept as cognitive behavior. Y- yes, it's related because what it does is you are training your mind or your cognitive processing to do what you want it to do so that you can be more the observer of your behavior rather than just experiencing it. Because I, I read that if you tell your brain that it's going to feel good, that it'll feel good. And people that are routinely negative or have a negative outlook it's very draining on them mm-hmm. and so what they've got to do is 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 think about the positive side mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. because what you think is what you'll feel that's very true very true you can actually there's been research to show that you know they say fake it till you make it if you're not in a really good place mentally and you smile you'll feel better you will eventually teach your brain or make your brain think that you are in a good place and you will feel better. Hmm. That's one of the reasons they used to have, I think it was IBM that used to have their salespeople put a mirror on their monitor before they picked up the phone so they could see themselves on the phone and they had to smile and have a positive expression so that they sounded more positive on the phone. Hmm. So, um, all right, let's talk about the different areas where this can help let's say a a small business owner who is trying to communicate the the direction and purpose and objectives of their company to their employees Mm -hmm. give us an example of how an each the emotional balance is not used and how it is used effectively so let's start with how it how it's not used okay so let's say you have a business leader with a vision to take the company in a certain direction. And what they do is they stand up in front of the group and say, this is the direction we're going. Get on or, you know, get on the boat or leave. And that's pretty much it's my way or the highway. It may be a good decision or a smart vision, but the way they're presenting it, they haven't really gained any buy-in or commitment. They've just said, follow me. So you're probably not going to have as much of a commitment level as the leader who says, here's the vision. What do you think about that? And how do you think you could support that vision? Now I'm tapping into your knowledge. I'm showing that I respect you. So you feel respected. And we all like to feel respected because that keeps our triggers down. Mm -hmm. You will be much more interested in following my vision. Is that the social awareness piece It's both. It's self-management in that you have to manage your own impulse to want to say, let's go do this and not get any input. 
and be able to then socially manage and say, okay, I want to tap in and see what's going on with everyone in the room and ask for their input or reflect back what I'm seeing and then do the relationship management of navigating through the conversation so they feel like they've been heard and understood. So let's think about some leaders out there over time. Have you ever studied Vince Lombardi? (laughs) I did a sort of a commercial on Vince Lombardi and his use of emotional intelligence. Did he use emotional intelligence? He actually did because he was very motivational and he was so passionate and yet he understood where his team was coming from, where his players were. He understood the players. Well, that's what, when I think of, the reason I ask that is because what I know about him was he didn't really care what the players felt. It was his way or the highway. But he knew. He knew where they were, and he knew how to motivate them. Hmm. And now that's on an individual basis, isn't it? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. So someone like a uh, Jack Welch, how did he use his emotional intelligence? Was it was his effectively used? You know, Jack Welch initially did not use emotional intelligence. And he is one of the great case studies about that because he came to understand the importance of emotional intelligence later in his career and, and pretty much saw the error of his ways, if you will, and how he he didn't respect his employees' input early on in his career and didn't use emotional intelligence. And later he had so much better um, um, effectiveness, if you will, from his employees when he did show it. Did he ever write about this? I mean, was it gradual? Was it uh, an epiphany one day? It was it. You know, that's a good question. I don't know if it was an epiphany or how he came to be more emotionally intelligent. I just know that, that he is one of the ones we talk about when we say, he's recognized that this way was not working as well as it could have, even though he was, he had great success. He had even more success as he started to implement emotional intelligence. And this idea of kind of putting yourself in the shoes of the employee, that re- that requires a lot of work because you've got to spend time to find out where that employee is, right? And that is the hardest part for any business leader because they've got a business to run and I get that all the time. Well, I don't have time to get into the heads of all my employees. Okay, so do you have time to hire and replace them because they don't feel like they're contributing and they've not been heard and understood because the cost of turnover and and training a new person is is ridiculously high. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're going to invest on the front end to save on the back end. That's that's essentially what you have to do. I guess what where this could lead you is to have a different well, a different style for every single employee, I would think. Different mm-hmm. goals and guidelines for every every employee. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to have some guiding principles, but I guess what I'm hearing you saying is each of them needs to be managed a different way. Absolutely. Because I- we get into comp plans, for example, and that's what I'm thinking about it, where mm-hmm. you've got someone who's got uh, uh, a lot of mouths to feed. Maybe, mm-hmm. he's, maybe they're more incented on... Uh, a base as opposed to incentive, but yet you want to have an incentive plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may not necessarily work for them, so you kind of have to adjust their plan, mm-hmm. or maybe they're not right for that particular job. I mean, I guess that's the analysis you have to go through. Exactly. Someone who is young, 
I don't want to say young, but let's see, someone who is uh, doesn't have any mouths to feed other than their own. <laughs> so I guess those people could be a lot more motivated by if that's how they really want to live their lives. I guess you got to figure that out. Then maybe they're a lot more motivated with a, a large piece of, a, of an incentive plan. So let me share an example of somebody that I coached, a CFO that came to me and said, you know, I'm having trouble coaching my new team. I said, well, tell me what the situation is. Well, you know, with my last team, it all worked really well. You know, everybody worked really hard and we got a lot of things done, but this team is different. I've been on board with them for three months now and all they do is talk about me behind my back and they spend time at the water cooler complaining and they're just not very productive. I'm like, okay, so do you know what motivates them? And she said, well, it's the same thing that motivates everybody. You know, I've given them the opportunity to make more money. I've given them an opportunity to have more responsibility. And I said, okay, so would you consider yourself to be somewhat of a baby boomer? And she said, I would. And I said, and this last team that you worked for or worked with, what age group were they? And she said, well, they were also boomers. Mm-hmm. Said, okay. And this new group, and she said, younger. Ah, they're more the millennials. I said, okay, so what motivates them? And she said, I guess I need to find out. And that's what she did. And when she came back for her next session, she said, oh my gosh, they want to be able to work from home. They want a day off instead of increased pay. You know, it's all this different reward system. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, and they want to feel part of a, they really want to feel part of a bigger thing. Yes. Yes. So just making those minor shifts and understanding what they valued and what made them feel like they'd been rewarded and made them feel better emotionally made all the difference. You're listening to On the Money. We're talking about emotional intelligence with uh, Don Cook, who runs Daybreak Enterprises. Very interesting um, how you can... learn this concept called uh, emotional intelligence she calls it eq uh, which is basically applying bringing to bear the uh, emotional part of your brain with the analytical part of the brain and trying to find a happy medium but more importantly is trying to understand where that other person is coming from that you're talking to or you're responsible for Mm -hmm. is that right yeah i mean you have to manage yourself be socially aware and manage yourself and stay grounded. So you've got all of your brain accessible and also socially aware. So understanding if they have an emotion that's getting in the way of you having a productive conversation, that you can speak to that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we always say, well, there's no place for emotion in business. Well, guess what? Have you ever known anybody who can separate their emotions and leave them at the door and come in to the office? It's just not possible. Now, you might manage them or suppress them so it feels like there's not an emotion, but there's still an emotion. But you want that emotion to come in the door. Got to have the emotion. All right, let's talk about this idea. Now that you've talked about that, you know, to leave it outside the door and bring it in. And I've heard this, heard the argument both ways, but the whole idea of compartmentalization, be one way in one environment and another way in another environment. Does that really work? That's so funny that you mentioned that because this morning I was interviewing a leader who said, you know, I am really good at setting boundaries in my business and I'm really bad at setting boundaries in my personal life. Mm -hmm. So they're one way in the office and a different way in their personal life. And I've had lots of people tell me that they struggle with the fact that they're different. And what it comes down to is the risks are different. The what? The risks are different. Okay. Right. So 
you are much more vulnerable in your personal life, like with your spouse mm -hmm. or your kids or whatever. And so the risks are different there versus if you have an altercation or something in, in the office, that's a different kind of a risk. If you and your spouse have a fight, you're going to make up more than likely, mm -hmm. right? If you have a fight with a coworker, okay, that means you could be in, in HR and now you've got it on your record. So yeah. there's different scenarios. So in terms of compartmentalizing, I think people can be different in work versus personal. I'm not sure if I'm answering the question that you well, asked. Well, I think, yeah, I... I guess I've heard it both ways. I've heard that uh, compartmentalization can be a real strength for people, but it also can cause a lot of emotional distress that you feel kind of torn between the two different people that you're trying to be. Mm, I can see that. I can see that. And you, you got to try to find a balance. You got to try to find a balance. But I think it's really all situational, not that I, not that you would tell, not you want to try to be somebody different for every person you deal with, but, you know, there's parts, some people want to see more emotion than other people want to see. Mm -hmm. So with some people, they want to see the passion. They really want to see the passion because the passion is what drives them. Hearing a little bit of anger may drive them. Some excitement may drive them. Somebody Fear. else, huh? Fear. Fear. Yeah. Fear is a huge motivator. And, and some people want that. Some people run away from it. So, um, so I, I would get, I, I think you just got to try to find a, as best you can, a balance in, in all parts of your life, but just recognize that some people need to be treated differently than, than others. You, and you've got to really acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the, what, like you said, a millennial versus a baby boomer, engineer versus a salesman, an accountant versus a uh, entrepreneur. I guess you can go down the list. All of them are going to have different kind of mindsets, and uh, you got to find a how, way to balance all that. You cannot manage an engineer the same way you would manage a creative person. No, right. Right? Right. That their brains are just set up differently, and they're going to be motivated differently. So, in the EQ world, or the emotional intelligence world, um, talk about that a little bit more. Managing an engineer versus, a, uh, say, a salesman. Hmm. Okay. So, I had a client that I worked with for several years who had many engineers on staff. Mm -hmm. Time and time and again, they did not understand the reason that anyone would want to be heard and understood. It was just tell them what they need to know and be done with it. And the same for them in terms of being managed, just tell me what you need me to do and I'm doing it. It was black and white, there was no room for any gray. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, they dealt with other people in the organization who were not of an engineering mindset and needed to have that sort of touchy-feely element where they were heard and understood. So if mm -hmm. they were trying to support someone in, let's say, the shared services group on how to implement new software, the shared services people want to understand how it's going to affect them. And when they get frustrated, how are they going to be able to get around that? And they want to know that they've got support and not be made to feel stupid when they can't figure it out. 
but the IT folks or the or the engineering type folks that are behind that, the software engineers that are behind that, they need to be able to recognize I can't just explain it away or come in and just do it for them. I have to make sure that they feel comfortable with it themselves. So it's a little different scenario. And if you're managing a group of engineers, whether they're software engineers or some other kind of engineer, you have to make sure that they understand how do you interact with other people in the organization? Because an engineer kind of wants to build the most efficient process, mm-hmm. one would think. Mm-hmm. But the most efficient process may not be the most effective process. Efficient can get us in trouble in so many ways. <laughs> I'm all about efficiency, but if you're trying to be efficient with people, that means giving them just the bare minimum. That means you're taking all the emotion out of it. Exactly. Right. And if somebody needs that that rapport and you're not giving it to them, you're basically going to have, you're, you're extending the process. You're not being efficient. Mm-hmm. So in this high driven, I guess you can apply this a lot of places where, you know, this, this technology world where everything's now being driven by technology, in order for that to be effective, I guess you've got to find the balance, right? So there was a guy, the John Nesbitt, he wrote a book called Megatrends mm-hmm. back in the 80s, and mm-hmm. one of his megatrends was a concept called high-tech and high-touch, meaning if you just want to try to build technology to do everything, you won't be effective because you also have to deal with the emotional side of the individual using the technology. And so what will happen is technology, everybody needs the emotional side. Either they may say it or they may not, but what will happen is that you Uh, You're going to build technology to enhance the human relationship, not replace the human relationship. Exactly. Exactly. So that would tell me that the emotional component is always going to be there so that the technology and the emotion, they're going to have to move in lockstep or technology won't go. We probably won't let technology go any further. Right. Right. Okay. You won't believe this. We're at the end of our time. Um, wow, that was fast. Yeah, it moves quick. Based on everything we've talked about today, I know we've been all over the map, but I think it's done a good job of kind of describing the, the EQ and the emotional intelligence and what all that means. There's a question you had in here and, and that you had given me beforehand. Um, if you could give our listeners one tip for improving their emotional intelligence, what would it be? Raise your self-awareness and practice mindfulness. Raise your self-awareness and practice mindfulness. Okay, so we've been through the mindfulness part. That's that's learning to be single-minded and practicing being in the moment, focusing on exactly what you're doing, not allowing yourself to, to, to wander because that's going to help you keep that nice blend of analytical and, and, and emotion in pressure situations. Mm-hmm. All right, so we know what that is, but... Talk about the first one. Raise your self-awareness is all about being aware of your your emotions in the moment that you're having them. So if you're practicing mindfulness, that means you're going to be self-aware. Because if you're mindful in the moment, when you experience a frustration or an anger or a fear or joy, you can recognize it in the moment for what it is and learn to then manage appropriately. So how do you raise your self-awareness? There's a lot of different ways you can do that, but just checking in with yourself. If you're the kind of person that likes to keep a journal, 
you can do a journal throughout yeah. the day or at night and just say, okay, how was I feeling this morning? Supposedly we have about a thousand emotions in a day, believe it or not. They may be fleeting, but we have them. And if you can just check in to say, okay, how was I feeling this morning? And what was causing that? And then how was I feeling at lunch? And what was causing that? How was I feeling this afternoon? What was causing that? So mm-hmm. you just become more aware. And if you do that enough, you start to be thinking in the moment, okay, how am I feeling right now? If you're practicing mindfulness, you will become more self-aware. And we only have the moment anyway. That's right. It's a hard concept to get our arms around, but we only have the moment anyway. So, um, but I guess what I've heard today is that every conversation, every decision, every communication needs to have the analytical side, but it also needs to have the emotional side. In balance. And balance. It's got to all be balanced so that if you if you say, I'm going to make a decision, but I'm going to take all the emotion out of it, no, you don't want to try to do it that way. Uh, you've got to leave some emotional emotion in it. As part of that, you need to connect with the emotional component of the people you're communicating with to try to understand that. Perfect summary. Okay. Yes. Well, I can see how this would have um, helpfulness in a lot of different customer service, uh, board meetings, uh, sales meetings, um, one-on-one conversation with uh, manager, employee. Any interaction that you have in the business any world. Any interaction. Any interaction. Not necessarily just the business world. Uh, personally as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because a lot of times we let our guard down uh, personally, as, as you say, because there are no fewer boundaries in the personal world. Um, and so you've, you've got to try to find that correct approach in the pers- on the personal side as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe different than the business side, but it's still something you've got to find. So, well, Don, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, the best way to get a hold of you. They can reach me at dawn at daybreakeq.com. Feel free to visit my website, daybreakeq.com, or catch me on LinkedIn at Dawn Cook Executive Coach EQ. Or on my Facebook, which is Daybreak Enterprises, or my Twitter, Dawn Cook at Daybreak EQ. Okay, well, good. And Dawn, thank you for for, com- for coming today. I think uh, anybody that's listened to this, I I know I learned a lot. I hope other people did as well. So thank you for being here. My pleasure. Um, well, anyway, that's the show for the day. Thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we thank you, Dawn, for being here. As you know, this is uh, on the money, and we're brought to you by Embassy National Bank. Uh, We're doing this show to help you, the small business owner, learn more and how to run an effective business. Uh, We go through a lot of different topics on this show. This has been a good one. So um, we'll catch you next time. And just remember, I guess the number one thing we've learned over the years here is just to stay authentic. And I think I think I have a better definition of staying authentic now, and that's keeping the emotion and the analytical uh, in sync for who you are as a person to kind of learn that perfect uh, little little spot and stick to that. So anyway, that's all the show for the day. So we'll see you next time.